Christ. And I've been through a lot this past year. Many of you have, and, and uh, we're grateful. Uh, but most of all, we're grateful for His Son. I just want to read out of First Peter chapter two, and it kind of puts His sacrifice and everything that He's done for us in perspective. Uh, Peter writes in First Peter chapter two. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as spiritual as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Father, we thank you for these elements that we hold in our hands, and we thank you for this uh, small piece of cracker that represents your body that was broken for us, the Bible says. Yet not one bone of your body was broken, but it was offered up as a sacrifice, a sacrifice that we could not offer ourselves. And we know because of everything we've learned over the past couple of weeks, that when Christ was born, he was born without sin. He was born perfect, and therefore he became the perfect sacrifice for all who would believe in his offering of himself. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can, in likeness of the disciples on the night in which Christ was betrayed, take this, this bread, and as he broke it, Lord, we partake together in knowing that it represents his body. And we do this in remembrance of you. We thank you and we praise you. We ask you to bless us to our bodies as we partake together. And the Bible says on the same night, he also took the cup. And it was the cup of the new covenant. And he blessed it, and so let's ask the Lord's blessing upon this. Father, we thank you that this cup, uh, just it's just grape juice, but Lord, it represents something so much greater. It represents our atonement through the blood of Christ. Lord, we're not a church that worships Jesus' blood. He had human blood like everybody else. And yet, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And it had to be a perfect sacrifice, and he was the only one that could do that. And so, Lord, we thank you that he was willing to go to the cross, shed his blood, give up his life, and atone for our sins, satisfy uh, the wrath of God as he took that upon himself. And, Lord, we thank you for all that the blood of Christ does. It covers our sins, it washes us white as snow. And, Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And we ask that you bless this to our bodies as well as we partake together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today, uh, I don't know if we have any kids here today or not. I don't know. Do we? I guess we have Sunday school. 
And men, um, those of you who are interested in the uh, books, I do have them in my office, Mario. So if, you're, if you want to join our, our Bible study uh, beginning this Thursday, uh, it's $20 for the book. But if you don't have the $20 with you, you can pay later, whatever. But um, we would ask that you sign up. There's a sheet in the back there. And then speak to Mario after church, and he'll get you the book and the verse packet that goes along with that. So um, let's... We'll pray as they're walking down. Father, we thank you for our children. We thank you that we can bless them and just bless their teachers. Uh, I pray that they would be able to teach in a way that is uh, uh, transferable to these young hearts. And Lord, we just ask that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about the new year. You can turn over to Luke 13, but we're going to be getting there in a little while. But... um, I want to talk about a strategic investment, a strategic investment, and we want to talk about making that investment in your, in your life, uh, with your time, uh, with your attention, all those things as we enter into this new year. I think it's good that we think of this, and not just for this generation in which we're living, but also for uh, even all throughout eternity, and you say, well, how can you do that? Is that possible? Well, yeah, it is. I love reading articles about these people who invested money in certain things, and then they just, the stock just went crazy. You know, I mean, if you just would have known, right? I mean, somehow if you could go back and say, I wish I was that guy. Um, I mean, for example, you know, $1,000 invested in Amazon in 1997, it'd be worth $1 million today. Wow, that's amazing. Or $1,000 invested in Netflix in 2002 would be worth about a half a million dollars today. Um, Or $100 invested in Bitcoin in 2010. $48 million from $100. If you would have known. I mean... (laughs) You know, sometimes you read those things, you get kind of frustrated, personally. I mean, I do. It's like, I wish I would have been that guy. Uh, All the stuff you could do for the Lord with that. But it's fascinating because what it does is it points out the miracle of exponential growth. I mean, the idea that something could grow to that degree in that amount of time is amazing. And it shows how just a modest investment, just a modest investment can multiply into tremendous amounts of, of money. In the case of these stocks, when the conditions allow everything just to fall right into place the right way. Jesus talked about this same principle as far as exponential growth. He, he spoke of that. But he wasn't referring to accumulating a big pocketbook. All right? He wasn't so much concerned with having a lot of wealth. He didn't have a place to lay his head, the Bible tells us. Uh, he was re- referring to the investment of one's faith. The investment of one's life, you might say. In what? Not in the stock market, but in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God. And uh, we have that topic this morning. We want to talk a little bit about the kingdom. And the king is, uh, you know, the idea of a kingdom and a king is, is definitely foreign to us. We've never sat under a king as far as the United States of America goes. Uh, Our country was born out of a revolution against a king, right? We didn't want that kind of a a leadership. Uh, We we pride ourselves on not having that kind of system. Um, The fact of the matter is most of the, the civilized world has moved away from the rulership under kings. And when we come across it a lot of times, we call those people what? Dictators, right? How could they run their country that way? And uh, there are still some royal families out there that, that strive to do this, but even that is, is somewhat uh, limited in terms of their absolute sovereignty because the world in general has moved away from that rule of government. Uh, people with absolute supremacy, authority, power, absolute will. We don't like that. And when we find somebody who rules like that, we call them a dictator, and we're outraged a lot of times by their behavior. 
So our world is not really a world of that kind of government anymore. And so how do we relate to this? We have no experience ever living under a monarchy. Maybe some of you do because you're from a foreign country. But uh, as far as those of us who have been born and raised here in the United States, we've never had a king. Well, the Bible says there's two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms. There's the material kingdom and there's the spiritual kingdom. The material kingdom and the spiritual kingdom. I mean, that's the simplest way to understand it. There's a material kingdom and there's a spiritual kingdom. When God created out of his sovereign will, he made all these material things and he made us as individuals, spiritual individuals. We have a spiritual soul. A tree doesn't have a soul. That's under the material kingdom. But the the good news is, is that he is king over both domains. He is absolute sovereign in his authority. And so when you understand the the idea that God is over everything, he's over the external universe, which he rules by creation, he created it. Psalm 10, 16 says, the Lord is king forever. Psalm 29, 10 says, yes, the Lord sits as king forever. He's not going to be overthrown. Psalm 103.19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. So the Bible teaches very clearly that he is king of everything and that he has created everything. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so God is king over the external, but he's also king over our own internal, personal kingdom. Uh, includes everyone he has recreated in salvation. If you've come to Christ, you know Christ as your what? Lord and Savior. That means absolute potentate. That means someone who rules you. You don't rule yourself anymore. You've given up that privilege and you said, no, God, I want to be under your rulership. I want to submit to you, Christ. He's the king universally by creation. He's the king personally by revelation because God has revealed to you that you're not your own king, that you need a savior because you're a sinner, and he is that savior. And so he's king personally through special revelation, the revelation of the scripture. But the Bible also teaches that his kingdom was not like any other kingdom. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ was not like any other kingdom. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 14, he says this, My kingdom is not of this world. Do you remember Jesus saying that? He says it's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, what would he be doing? He said, then my servants would be fighting. <laughs> I wouldn't let you just take me away. We would be fighting so that I would not be delivered over to the Jews. But he says, as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. And what does that say? That that teaches us scripturally that there's absolutely no connection, no connection between the kingdom of God and this world. Think of how much we worry about this world, about the government, about this, who's going to get elected. In God's eyes, it's frivolous nonsense. It doesn't matter. Now, we should be good citizens and go and vote for the most biblical candidate, I guess. The most biblical law or rule, whatever we're we're voting on. But on the other hand, realize that we don't change the world through that. That's a mistake the church has made. We saw that in Romans 8, actually. It says that those in the flesh cannot please God. You remember that? The flesh really is the world, the kingdom of darkness. It's one and the same. And we know what the the good news of the gospel is, right? And the first message of the gospel is that, what? You're a sinner, and you need a savior. And you know what? If you don't tap into Christ, if you don't accept Christ, if you don't come to Christ, if you don't acknowledge Christ, if you don't follow Christ as your savior, you're on your way to eternal hell, punishment a place of torment. Now, if you share that message with your friends and your family who are not Christians, they're not going to give you a big hug. They're not going to say, well, thank thank you for telling me this wonderful news. No, they're going to have a problem with you. 
They're going to reject that with everything they have within them. The culture does not want to hear the gospel. People are not out there just waiting with bated breath. Oh, please tell me about your Jesus. They don't want to hear it. That's why I appreciate what Manuel said, I think, in his prayer, was just about being bold. You know, as the church, we've been kind of smuckered into believing that, well, you can't be bold because if you be bold, you'll get in trouble. And culturally, you don't want to be in trouble. You want to be, kind of go with the flow. And that's the exact opposite that Christ tells us to do. He says, get out there and stir it up. Tell them the truth. Don't water it down. And for 300 plus years, the, you know, they've been building this philosophy, the world, that is now, really, we see it come into play every day. And basically, this philosophy says that, you know, basically people are what? They're good. They're good. Everybody's good. Basically, I mean, you know, when you get down to it. And you know what? Besides being good, you know, they have a right to be who they are. They have a right to believe who they are. I mean, that's the modern day philosophy, really, that we see floating around out there today. And it's, it's, it's being taught in, to our kids in schools. It's being taught across the board. And people, are even within the church, are, are swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. You know, the whole idea that people are unfulfilled because, well, there's this, this you know, in America, this historic white patriarchy that's created this religion that just confines us, and it's a false religion because we know there's no God. And they use that religion, that vile religion, to oppress and incarcerate people. (laughs) They believe they've created laws, given them religion as a covering. And so even the law, the land is bad because that's just, you know, another form of religion. And it's really a, a secret blanket to prevent people from what they really want to do. And you see where this cancel culture, everything that's going about today, basically their message is we, we have to throw all that away. All that stuff of history that we've been raised up with. And we want to let everybody be whatever they want to be. And that's why you have hundreds of genders go figure <laughs> I mean you can wake up one day and say well, you know I feel like a man well tomorrow I feel like a woman well yeah I feel this way. I feel that it's ridiculous Amen. and it's based on no fact whatsoever and it all started because they wanted to say that man is good no matter what they do man is good and it's the culture it's their upbringing that makes him bad And it's the elite who rose to the top, who created the culture that inhabits, inhibits all their, all this stuff and and they're inhibiting their, their true sexual desires and all this stuff. So we just got to get rid of this stuff of religion and Christianity and law. They want a philosophy that overthrows God. They want a philosophy that overthrows any kind of sense of morality so they could do what they want to do. They want to sin. There's nothing noble about that. There's nothing noble with compromising with somebody like that. Pastor told me one time, well, you know, Steve, you just got to relate to the culture more. I said, no, I, I, have, no, I have no desire to relate to this culture. It's ridiculous. And yet you have pastors in churches who are compromising. They're, they're just giving way to this. They're approving it. Well, Jesus himself spoke often about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was the message of Christ. When it says there the kingdom of God is at hand, it means it's imminent 
In other words, it's happening right now. It was happening in that day when, when they penned those words. And so that leads to the question, well, what is the kingdom of God then? What does that mean when it speaks of the kingdom of God? If being part of God's kingdom reaps so many amazing rewards, hopefully we want to understand what it is, correct? Is, it, is the kingdom of God having the right government in place? Does that matter? No. Doesn't matter at all. Is it a specific political party? No. You could ask the question, is, is the kingdom of God the church? No, it's not. Now, the kingdom of God and the church are closely related, but they're not identical. They're not identical. The kingdom of God refers to God's reign over the earth, over all creation, over all time, his absolute sovereign reign. Now, we, the church, are part of his kingdom in that way, but we're only a part of it. As the church, we're a community of, what, sinners saved by grace. That's all we are. We're sinners saved by grace. And we're not here as a church to establish our own little special kingdom with our own little special kings. That's not what Christ calls us to do. He doesn't call us to start with a little kingdom and build a bigger kingdom. You know, you hear all this stuff, kingdom living. People are writing books, kingdom living. And it's, it's all about the prosperity stuff. Bigger's better. Really, what the Church of Christ is called to do, we're called to live our lives as worthy subjects of God's universal, eternal kingdom. That's what we're called to do. A little further on in the gospel, in Gospel of Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, it says this, being asked by the Pharisees, speaking of Jesus, they, asked, they were asking Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. When, when's it going to come? You keep on talking about this kingdom. When's it going to come? And here's what he said. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you can observe. Isn't that interesting? Nor will they say, look, here it is. There's the kingdom. There's the gates to the kingdom. Let's go there. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God, he says this. Behold. In other words, he says, pay attention. This is really important, what I'm about to tell you. The kingdom of God is not something that you can observe. But behold, guess what? The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That's what he told to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Now, these were truly not Christ followers, right? They were unbelievers. So he's not saying they are the kingdom of God. But he's saying the kingdom of God is in their midst. What's he saying? He's saying basically wherever I am, wherever Jesus is, wherever he's working, you're going to find the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter whether it's in America. It doesn't matter whether it's in India. It doesn't matter whether it's in Thailand or South America. That's where the kingdom of God is. It's where Christ is working. This includes even those places where the church has not reached. And there's many. Why is that? Because God is at work in the life of every person on this planet. And he's able to find those who are seeking him. Because he's drawing them long before any religious organization does. The kingdom of God is in your midst, he says. The kingdom is here because we just celebrate it, right? The king is here. That's why the kingdom of God is here. He's here today, alive, in our church, in your heart. So his kingdom has nothing to do with this world. His kingdom is here. It's separate from the world. Matter of fact, the King James Bible translates it this way. The kingdom of God is within you. Within you. That's a true statement. Every one of us is a, has Christ within us. If you've professed Christ, if you've come to Christ. Every one of us, you could say, is a kind of a kingdom. 
even within ourselves, even if you don't have Christ, you've set up a kingdom. The question is, who is the king? Are you the king? See how that one works out for you. I'd rather have Christ, my creator, as my king. Some people don't like that. They want to be their own king. They want to be their own monarch. That's not how it works, though. You remember the awesome prophet, Dylan, who said what? You've got to serve somebody, right? That's what he said in his song. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but guess what? You're going to serve somebody. That's, that's your two choices. Either you serve God or you serve the devil. You may think you're serving yourself. You may think you're the captain of your own destiny, but you're not. The question is, who will it be? If you submit your life to the kingdom of God, if you submit your life to Christ, Jesus says you will receive exponential return on your investment. Exponential return. And it's going to make cryptocurrency seem like nothing. I mean, one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to go, wow, really? Lord, I only did this much, but wow, wow, can't believe it. Well, let's like take a look at what Jesus says about the kingdom. And this is in Luke 13. I'm just going to focus on this shortly for a little bit here. Because when we pursue a, as the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, right? We're going to experience that kind of growth as Jesus promised. Luke 13, verses 18 to 19. I just want to ask you to stand in honor of God's word, and uh, and I will pray. Read it and pray, and then you can have a seat. Luke 13, verses 18 to 19. Jesus said, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray you bless this to our, our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. First of all, I want to see, I want you to see here that God's work in your life begins right where you are. Right where you are. Look at what it says in verse 19. It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed where? In his garden. In his garden. His own garden. It's interesting detail because a mustard plant is not really something you'd put in your garden. It's a field plant. It's a plant you'd plant out in a field because it's usually harvested commercially. And so when this man planted this mustard seed in his own garden, he was thinking pretty big. <laughs> he was thinking beyond the realm of just a little garden here. Kind of like Google starting in a garage. I mean, who would have thought, right? Or Apple starting in a garage. Who, 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 who could even imagine that? I got this idea for a website, you know, we're going to, uh, ultimately it's going to, you're going to own the internet. Let's get the cars out of the, out of the garage and we'll set up a little office here and we'll start this idea. I mean, think of the, the, the innovation and the, the imagination it took to start something like that. It's amazing. The NIV says that the man took and planted this mustard seed in his own garden. New American Standard says the man took and threw it. (laughs) He threw it into his garden. (laughs) Kind of like sowed it into his garden. It really reflects the true meaning of that Greek word. It implies a bolder effort. It's not just going out and just planting. He threw this seed out there. That's how the kingdom of God works. That's how God works. It starts right where you are. In your garage, in your room, in your chair, at your desk. With your family, with your neighborhood. With your children. 
Wherever you are is where God wants you to begin seeking his kingdom to come alive in your life. It begins really when you say that simple prayer, you know, Jesus, you are Lord. Your kingdom come in my life every day when you wake up. Thank you, Lord, for a wonderful sleep. Thank you for allowing me to breathe this morning. What do we have? What's on the agenda today, God? We don't have to worry about the week. We just worry about the day. We worry about the next couple hours. I mean, I've, I've known people who have lived in sin year after year after year. They live a life of rebellion against God. But I've also known people who've lived a life of religion year after year after year. And they both come to the same point in time. And they both realize, wow, we need a dramatic transformation. It's not just about coming to church anymore. It's about doing something for his kingdom. I mean, we often want to map out every aspect of our future in some fine detail. You know, some spreadsheet we have. But we don't have that option usually. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. My son-in-law is trying to get back to Hawaii and they planned a a trip. He's got to be back to work on Monday. He's in the Navy. Kind of important that he gets back there. Made his flight. It was scheduled for early this morning. And I think on Friday, they got a text saying, oh, sorry, your flight's canceled. It's like, well, okay, are you going to rebook it? Or what are you going to do, you know? So you had to call the airline after three hours on the, the phone. Oh, we can rebook it on a different flight. So they rebooked a different flight for this morning. And then he had to go get tested and all that stuff to fly back to Hawaii, all that. It was just, it was stressful. Supposed to fly out at 9 o'clock this morning. And my daughter texted me at about 6.30 this morning. said, oh, his flight was not canceled, but postponed to 11. So I'm assuming he's on the flight. But we plan things out, and sometimes they don't happen the way we plan them. And it can be very stressful if you don't acknowledge that, you know what, God's in control of this stuff. We're not in control of this. God is. And when we know that we just take one step of obedience, step after step in our lives, we can take that step knowing that it's the right step, and we can take it boldly, and we can take it bravely. We don't have to take it with hesitance. And when we speak the gospel truth to people's hearts, we don't have to be shy about it. And I encourage you to be bold this year. Be bold for the cause of Christ. Live for Christ like you've never lived before. I mean, nobody knows when Christ is coming back. But I'll tell you what, (laughs) things look a, a whole lot closer today than they did yesterday. Or last year, or 10 years ago. So be reminded that the kingdom of God starts right where you're at. Secondly, God's work in your life requires consistent care. He says there, it's like a grain of mustard seed. This is what it's like. It begins with this, the smallest of seeds. This is one of the smallest seeds there is. It's not the smallest, but it is one of the smallest. And what does it do? It grows when you tend to it on a daily basis. Once in a while, on the, I think it's on the History Channel or one of those channels, they have um, companies that changed America or whatever. And I remember listening as they talked about William Wrigley. <laughs> he basically sold baking soda to people. And then he discovered this chewing gum stuff. He began his company with a mere $32. Think about that. $32. And he would give customers a complimentary pack of this special homemade chewing gum with each purchase. And as he did that, over time, eventually, they weren't even ordering the baking soda. They were ordering the baking soda to get the gum. They wanted the gum. They didn't want this baking soda. And so eventually, he figured this out. And how long it took him, I don't know. But, and so he came up with a product called Juicy Fruit. 
You can go down to Rite Aid and see juicy fruit on the shelf. It's amazing. And that's where most business success stories begin. It's not with some big global launch, but it's with one person selling usually one product to one customer. You know, once in a while I'll watch Shark Tank, that show, and you see the, the, the guys that come on there and, you know, they always ask the same thing. Well, how, how, many, how much sales have you had? And when the, the people on the stage say, well, you're not going to like the answer, <laughs> you know that they're not going anywhere usually, okay, because they haven't even started selling their product yet. It's just a concept, so it's not even a company yet. But the ones that say, oh, yeah, last year, you know, three months, we made a million dollars. Wow. They're interested in that. Why? Because they got out there and they started selling their product to individuals. And they proved that it was successful. Even a company like Nike, who actually owns Converse shoes, too. (laughs) That was started by a guy named Phil Knight, selling shoes out of his trunk in parking lots. Think about that. Fifteen, twenty million dollar comp- billion company today. It starts with a guy selling stuff out of his trunk. It begins with the smallest of seeds is the point. It's tiny. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, it's tiny. It looks like a little dot. And the mustard seed plant is among the largest in the farmer's field. It can grow up to nine feet tall, they say. So Jesus here is making this comparison as just as the smallest of seeds can become the largest of plants, the smallest of steps, the smallest acts of faith, right, can yield great results. Think about it in your own life if you look back over your own personal walk of faith. Times when you had to trust the Lord and it, it seemed like, well, this is, this is kind of a big step of faith, but I'm going to do it. And you do it and what God, God comes through. And now you look back and it's like, well, that was a small step. This step I'm facing now is a lot bigger. I don't know if I could do this. It's our faith growing. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 17, Truly I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now he's not saying you can go out and physically move mountains. That's not his point. But he's saying you can do the impossible with God when you exercise your faith. And it takes only the smallest of steps. Once the seed is planted, what needs to happen? It needs to be cultivated, right? If you know anything about gardening, you can't just throw seed and not water it and not feed it and expect a good return. When you cast seed or you throw seed or sow seed, it it gives you the impression that a man's effort was just, you know, eh, whatever, just throw it out there. doesn't matter where it lands or what it does. But a lot of those seeds may not grow. The smart farmer would know that those seeds are going to require water, they're going to require air, they're going to require nutrients, They're going to require the farmer's time to make sure that they're seeded in the soil properly and they're taken care of and they're cultivated. And it's that process of cultivation that causes that seed to grow more than the seed that just lands on the sidewalk. You know the little song, it only takes, what, a spark? Remember you sing that in camp to keep a fire burning, to get a fire burning? Well, it only takes a, a small step, a small spark to keep you, you cultivated. We're able to see the exponential kingdom growth in our lives when we truly make it a habit, when we, when we cultivate and, and nurture the seeds that we have sown. Think about that which you want to increase in your life this new year. Things that maybe you want to see change. Um, ask yourself, what are, you, what are you doing to ensure that that happens? You can't just wish it. You know, maybe you want to learn more about Scripture. Well, you can't just put the Bible under your, your pillow at night when you go to bed. 
and say, okay, Lord, just somehow let it absorb into my mind. No. What's it going to take? It's going to take you getting out of your daytimer and figure out on your phone whatever means you work of scheduling and figure out, you know what? What's the best time for me to study God's word? For 10 minutes, for 15 minutes, for a half hour every day. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, boy, I wish I could just memorize more scripture. Well, it's not going to happen just by wishing it. You're going to have to sit down and you're going to have to get out a card and you're going to have to start writing scripture. That's a kind of a, a practice that a lot of people use. They actually take the Bible, they put the Bible down in front of them, they take a journal and they start writing the scripture. They just rewrite it in their own handwriting. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's neat or whatever. It's a very good way to, to kind of ponder and to stop and to, you know, when you're writing out books of the Bible in a, in a book of your own, you, something's going to get in there, hopefully. And so we're able to see this exponential kingdom growth in our lives when we make it a habit to cultivate and nurture seeds that we've sown. And I think that that's important. So you have to ask yourself, what are you doing to prepare for growth? It's a daily cultivation. It's daily consistent care. That's why we offer Bible studies. That's why we offer midweek studies and men's studies and groups like that. And, and you know, men, it's, it's a good thing to get together as men. And, you know, I know this is an every week deal we're attempting to start here this week. I mean, every week we're going to meet at Thursday morning at 6 a.m. And then another group's going to meet at Thursday evening at 7 p.m. About an hour, hour and a half. We're going to go through a, a wonderful book together. And it will, it will speak truth into your lives. It's not just going to happen if you wish it to happen. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to say, okay, well, yeah. Um, at least the good news is, you know, we're out of the NFL season pretty much. I think I think Thursday night football is over. So, you know. So we need to cultivate this in our lives. And ladies, you have the same opportunities for Bible study coming up as well. And then thirdly, God's work in your life is intended to be a blessing to others. It's intended to be a blessing to others. Jesus said about the mustard seed in verse 19, it grew, and what did it do? It became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Notice that the plant was not just for the farmer's benefit. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't just to benefit the farmer. It, it benefited others. Jesus, he didn't say here that the, the mustard seed grew and became a tree and, and the, the farmer and his, his family had really good uh, uh, sandwiches from then on. You know, they had the... No. I mean, it did provide for the farmer, no doubt. But of greater significance, look at what it says. It also provided for the birds of the air. The image of this tree that shades the birds is a subtle reference made to it in Ezekiel 17 where God says that the Messiah, the son of David, Jesus himself, will be the source of deliverance to his people. He says that he will establish like a mighty cedar on a high and lofty mountain. In verse 23 of Ezekiel 17, he says, Birds of every kind will nest in it, and they will find shelter in the shade of its branches. See, this is how God provides for his people. And this is how we're to provide for one another as the church. And when the kingdom of God isn't fully operational in your life, guess what? Your life will not be blessed. You won't be a blessing to others. But when it is fully operational in your life, your life will be blessed and your life will be abundant so much so that it overflows and, and touches others. You'll be a blessing to others. I think most of us would want to be a blessing to others. I don't know of many people that say, no, I just want to be a you know, thorn in the side of everybody. No. I mean, man, I'm sure there's somebody out there like that, but I've not met them yet. So you look at it and you say, well, whatever God has planned for your life, you can be sure of this. Whatever it is, it involves serving others. It does. Ministering to others, providing for others, blessing others. You're not an island unto yourself. And I think sometimes we often think of, of someone who has achieved great success. We think of someone that has come all that way, and they have fame, and they have fortune, and 
They're not watching Shark Tank. They're on Shark Tank, right? They're one of the sharks. They have the freedom to do whatever they like. But I really believe the wisest among the most highly successful people tend to measure their lives differently. They really do. Not by what they've accumulated. That doesn't mean anything to them. But by what they're able to pass on to others. How they're to affect change in other people's lives. You know, you look at somebody, a Christian author, somebody like Max Lucado, who's written, I don't know how many books, lots of books. And a lot of those books are tremendous blessings to people. And I'm sure he sold a lot of books and received a lot of royalties as a result of that. But you don't measure his success by that. You measure by, wow, are these, are these books encouraging people in their Christian growth? See, whatever God has in store with you, you can be sure that the birds of every nest will find shelter in shade of your branches. That's his plan. He wants you to serve others. And it starts right where you're at. It all begins with that tiny mustard seed. A simple act of faith combined with a commitment to, to cultivate. And it opens doors to God's greatest blessings in your life. I talked about how investing a small amount in certain companies can yield tremendous return. A thousand become a million. A hundred can be 48 million. Here's another example to consider. A $10,000 investment. Now that's a lot of money, right? $10,000, I would say it's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to begin with. But a $10,000 invested in 1999 in the Enron Corporation would have been worth less than $10 a decade later. Think about that one. I mean, people lost their everything with that debacle. The poster child of bad investments, you might say. They invested everything they had in kind of a shaky idea. And we only have one life, one life to invest. We don't have multiple lives to invest. We have one life to invest, one soul to invest. We don't have the privilege of having a diversified portfolio, you might say, when it comes to investing of our life. You invest it all. And you have to ask that question in 2022, where is that investment going You can invest in your ego, you can invest in the world, you can invest in pleasure, you can invest in possessions, you can invest in the kingdom of God. And I'm not talking about your dollars. I'm talking about your time, your talents, your heart, your life. I mean, if you live your life for anything other than the Lordship of Jesus Christ each day, then guess what? The results will be an Enron-level Catastrophe. (laughs) But if you seek, what, first God's kingdom, right? That's what the Bible tells us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all that you need, all that you need will come your way, the Bible says, with blessing on top of blessings. You'll be a blessing to others and God's kingdom will be at work in your life and it will be a blessing to you, and you'll be glorified in all, he will be glorified in all that you do. Uh, that's a, just a wonderful promise from God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, we can come to you with our time, our talent, our treasure, even, Lord, and, and invest it for all eternity. But, Father, I pray that we would be reminded that you want us to start right where we're at, first and foremost. Lord, this, this world is fleeting. It's quickly passing away. We see it happening on a daily basis almost. And it can be very unnerving unless you know what the end, the end of the game is. And Lord, even though this world passes away,
Our, our souls are eternal, and we're promised eternity with you forevermore. If we just trust in you, if we trust in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice. If there's anyone here today who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray today might be the day they cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Help me, even in my unbelief, to believe the gospel message. If you pray that prayer sincerely, God will answer your prayer. He'll transform your heart. He'll show you that he has met the need for your sin in Christ. And he'll make you a new creation even here this morning. And you can begin 2022 on a whole new level. And believers, we need to understand that God's work in our life requires that care, that constant grinding away at it. It doesn't happen automatically. It takes sacrifice. It pulls us away from what the world says is important. But Lord, your word says that your word and fellowshipping with your people and so much more is is so much far and above more important than what our everyday logic says is important. And we pray, Lord, as we begin 2022, that as believers, we can be a blessing to others for your glory. Lord, that you'll use us in a way that we've never imagined that you'll use this church in a way that we've never imagined in this coming year. That we'll see many people come hungering for your word. Hungering to hear the gospel. Hungering to grow in their, their walk. Lord, there's a lot of churches that are still closed down. It's a shame. It's sad to see that. It's unfortunate. But Lord, I just pray that people who are searching for truth and searching to be taught spiritually, that they will, you will lead them to this church. That you will draw people here who are hungry for your word and desire to live together in fellowship with each other and with Christ. We thank you and we pray you bless our time across the way, bless the food to our body, bodies as well. And Lord, we just pray that we would just have a wonderful year together as the body of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll close with one last song.